Mark 14, 32 to 38, the title of my sermon is Pray Like Jesus. Pray like Jesus. Here's the big idea. Those who pray like Jesus pray for God's will. They pray the scripture and they pray in the face of temptation. Um, I want to get real with you guys. I want to share a couple of things from my personal life. Ten years ago, Haley and I prayed, Father, your will be done. You see, it took us a long time to get pregnant with Clark. Clark's our, our firstborn, and, you know, I mean, after a year of trying and not getting pregnant, you think, maybe this isn't going to happen. And yet, we wanted God's will, and we trusted the Lord. And so we said, Father, your will be done. And of course, now we have three kids, so praise God for that. But if the Lord had called us to uh, be parents without children, you know, our heart's always been adoption. Uh, we just trusted, Lord, whatever you have for us, we know it's good because you're good. We want your will to be done. Seven and a half years ago, we found ourselves praying that same prayer again, Father, your will be done. I'd been at the same church in Washington for five years. I was over young adults and the youth, and we had a growing ministry. Uh, I'd just gotten into a PhD program for New Testament studies. I was excited about that, but the church leadership said, hey, Chris, we want you to go and plant a church 30 miles north uh, in a very unchurched area of Washington, again, getting closer to Canada. And so we said, Father, we're, we're thankful where you have us. We love all our friends in this church family. We love the ministry, but we want what? Your will to be done. And of course, we planted that church, and we were there for five additional years, so a total of 10 years in Washington. Two and a half years ago, we found ourselves praying the same prayer. We've been in Washington for 10 years. We planted a church. It was a healthy church, a growing church. Uh, Haley's dad had a heart transplant, and so we started thinking and praying about coming back home to be near family, and we prayed, Father, your will be done, and here we are. Um, in each of these instances, right, just a quick, there's multiple more stories like that, but in each of these instances, we trusted the Lord and knew, we knew that we knew that his will was best, and that is what we desired, and that's what all God's people should desire, and that is what we prayed for God's will to be done. So what enabled Jesus, think about this, what enabled Jesus to persevere to endure toward the cross was what? His utter trust and alignment to God's will. And we see this in Jesus' own prayer to the Father. What does he pray? Father, not my will, but your will be done. Let me give some context. Um, we're in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane. Just moments before Jesus' death, we find I think one of the most theologically rich passages in the entire Bible. Furthermore, apart from the cross, this may be the most intense scene recorded in the Gospels. Jesus is in anguish. He's overwhelmed with sorrow. Now, if you've read Luke's account in Luke 22, we have additional details. He's sweating drops of blood. So, we must first understand the reason behind Jesus' behavior. Why is he overwhelmed with sorrow? Why is he sweating drops of blood? Well, in our text, he references the hour and the cup. The hour and the cup are clear references to the cross and God's wrath that Jesus would drink in whose place? 
our place. Amen? The great implication of this act of substitution, because he did that in our place and sacrifice, was alienation from the Father. An eternal fellowship was about to be broken as the Son of God would take upon himself the wrath of God against human sinfulness. Jesus would be cut off so that we could be brought near. So how does Jesus respond to the terror before him? What does he do? He, he prays. He prays. And there's so much we can learn here, friends. Jesus' humility, his humanity is brought to light in this deeply emotional response. However, he doesn't let his emotions get the best of him, does he? As the true son of man, as the true human, again, is Jesus fully God? Yes and amen. But is he fully man? Yes and amen, right? And as true man, as the true man, as the one who shows us what it means to be man, what does he do? He demonstrates his absolute commitment to the will of the Father. He doesn't merely teach us how to pray, but he demonstrates it for us when it matters most. So how does Jesus respond, and what can we learn from this? Again, the title, Pray Like Jesus. I want to pray like Jesus. Do you want to pray like Jesus? I want to pray like Jesus. So let's look at how Jesus prays. Again, verse 36. How does Jesus respond, and what can we learn from this? And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So in the midst of adversity, Jesus prays to the Father and submits to his will. And that brings us to point number one. I have three points from this text. Number one, prayer is how we express our commitment to God's will. Prayer is how we express our commitment to God's will. It's how we demonstrate our utter dependence on the Lord in our belief that his will is best. Now, I stated before, this is one of the most theologically rich passages. I would say one of the most theologically rich prayers prayed in the Bible. What Jesus believes about the Father is brought to light through his communication with the Father, through his prayer. So what do we learn about Jesus' own theology, his belief about the Father in his prayer? Now again, if you pray, what does that reveal? When you, play, when you pray, and I hope you do, Right, and, and we may have gotten beat up a little bit this weekend. That's okay. We, we came out of it. Um, but when you pray, and what you pray, I promise you this, it reveals what you believe about God. Doesn't it? What you believe about God will be heard in your prayers. And I wonder what your prayers reveal about God. I wonder. Well, how does Jesus begin? Abba, Father. Now, the term Abba, everybody say Abba, not the band. And I do like the band. But, you know, Abba is from the Aramaic for father. But it denotes both an intimate, right, but also respectful relationship. So Abba, when Jesus prays Abba, Father, it denotes both his intimacy with the father, but also this reverence and awe before the father. It was extremely rare in Jesus' day to find someone using this term in reference for God. Most people didn't refer to God during this time as Abba. It's Jesus' unique relationship with the Father that is thus brought to the forefront for us. 
Jesus trusts the Father. He knows the Father. Simply put, when you know the Father, you trust the Father. When you know the Father, you, you trust the Father. Now, here, here's what I want us to just sit for a minute. This is really helpful. Here's the theology. Again, theology is what? Theology is essentially what you believe about God, what you know about God to be true. We all have theology. We're all theologians. R.C. Sproul wrote a book. It's a nice red book. It's not too big. You could read it. All of us could read it. Called Everyone's a Theologian. Well, Jesus is the ultimate theologian. So what does his prayer teach us about God? Jesus' prayer acknowledges two great truths about the Father. Again, here we see Jesus' theology. What does Jesus know about God the Father based on his prayer? Again, there are two things, and we must remember these two things when we pray. So when you find yourself praying, we should, I should, remember these two things. Number one, all things are possible for God. That's in your notes. All things are possible for God. He's all-powerful. You can even write out if you want to sound smart. He's omnipotent. (laughs) He's all-powerful. Verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Why is this important that we acknowledge that all things are possible for God when we pray? This is what makes God, God. This is what distinguishes God from, look around, us. We are limited and finite. God is what? He is infinite. Now, again, we have the power to do certain things, some things, but God has the power to do all things. He is all-powerful. There's nothing he cannot do. His power knows no bounds. Now, is this just found in Jesus' prayer, or is this found in the Scriptures? This idea that God is all-powerful. It's found in God's Word. Can I just show you two more places where it's found? It's always helpful, right? These cross-references. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God. That's, That's a good way to begin. Ah, wow. Ah, Lord God. It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Oh, amen, right? That's what Jeremiah says. Nothing is too hard for you, God. You made everything. And then let's look at Luke 137. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. One more time. Nothing will be impossible with God. So the Bible's clear testimony is that God is all powerful, which is clearly affirmed in whose prayer? Jesus' prayer. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. What this teaches us, now this is what I want you to get. What this teaches us is that Jesus' prayer is biblical. It's informed by the scriptures. And this brings us to our next important point. This is not the second thing that Jesus' prayer reveals about his theology. This is the next point in my sermon. Okay? Number two, our prayers must be biblical. Our prayers must be what? Biblical. They must be informed by and rooted in God's what? His word. This is at the heart of the Christian's relationship with God. Again, if you were here this weekend, men, I said this often. Okay? I said it probably 14 times. God speaks first to us in his word, and we speak back in prayer. And if what we pray is not supported by Scripture, then we aren't praying the way we're supposed to pray. In fact, we'll find that we're not praying according to God's will, because God's will is revealed where? In the Scriptures. 
You know, Jesus was a student of the word. <laughs> Obviously, right? I mean, come on, whose word is it? It's his. But he knew it. Jesus knew the word. We see that in Matthew 4. Every time that Satan tempts Jesus, he responds with truth, God's word. But what we see Jesus doing in prayer is speaking God's word back to him. He's speaking the word back to the Father. What does Scripture teach us? God is all-powerful. How does Jesus pray? Father, you are essentially all-powerful. You can do all things. Nothing. Somebody say nothing. Now listen, nothing. And I mean this. This is not me being hyperbolic or exaggerated. This is true. Nothing will improve your prayer life more than being a good and consistent student of the Bible. Okay? Nothing will improve your prayer life more than being a good and consistent student of the Bible, the Word of God. Like Jesus, make a habit. Like Jesus, make a habit of speaking God's Word back to Him in prayer. I want to give you an example of this. I shared this story, uh, I think, Friday night in man camp. When I was a youth pastor in Washington, I, uh, I took the better part of a year to teach through the Psalms to our youth group. And I used that better part of a year to demonstrate for our students how to pray the Bible. So I would begin each Wednesday night by reading the psalm that I would exposit that night through preaching. But before I got into the preaching, I would demonstrate how to pray that psalm. You understand? God speaks to us through his word, and we speak back in prayer. There's a great book by Donald Whitney called Praying the Bible. And again, if I could just like pull a chain and, you know, those little parachutes, the books fall down and everyone got one, that'd be wonderful, but I can't do that today. So uh, it's a good investment of your time. And your money. So I'll leave it at that. Psalm 119.68. I hope you know this. The psalmist says, you are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. God, you are good and you do good. You're good and you do good. He does good because he's good, right? He's good and he does good. And then the psalmist says, teach me your statutes. What might it look like for us to pray in response to that verse? Well, here's an example. God, you are truly good and what you do is good. I thank you for these truths that bring peace to my life, knowing that God is good, and what he does in our lives and in the world is, it's good. So you can pray, God, thank you for these truths, knowing that you're good and you do good, that ultimately bring peace to my life. And then you could go on and say, God, I thank you for your good word that comforts me when life is hard. Teach me your good word. Again, nothing will improve your prayer life more than being a good and consistent student of the Bible, the Word. This is because the Bible simply shows us what God is like, and it shows us God's will, which we're called to pray according to. And this brings us to the second truth about God that we learn in Jesus' prayer. What was the first one? What was the first truth that we learned about God from Jesus' prayer? All things are possible for God. Number two, God's will is supreme. Don't forget that. God's will is what? It's best. If you don't like that word, fine. Put best. God's word is best. His will is best. God's will is best. Therefore, it must take precedence. It must take precedence over our will and be embraced. Verse 36, remove this cup from me. What did the cup stand for? God's wrath, right? Jesus was going to take our sin and the punishment our sin deserves at the cross for us. Amen? 
remove this cup from me yet. Not what I will, but what you will. R.T. France notes, prayer, this is a great quote, prayer, and I'll, I promise you I'll get a, a text today. Hey, bro, can you, uh, can you send me that quote again? Aaron's really good about posting these on Facebook for me. I'm not much of a Facebooker. Prayer consists not in changing God's mind, but in finding our own alignment with God's will. Isn't that good? Let me say it again. Prayer consists not in changing God's mind, but in finding what? Our own alignment with God's will. Where our desire is not in line with God's purpose, it is the former which must give way. Let me say that again. Where our desire is not in line with God's purpose, it is the former which must give way. All right, where else do we see this emphasis on God's will as best, as supreme in the scriptures? Is this taught elsewhere that God's will is best, it's supreme? Of course it is. I have like five. Let me just give you four. James 4.15. James 4.15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It's not just, hey, this is what I think I'm going to do next year. I plan this. No, if the Lord wills, because whose will is the best? God's will. So we should pray for whose will? Why? Because it's the, it's the best. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Isn't that incredible that Jesus refers to what? Doing God's will as the food. It's good. Psalm 143, verse 10, the psalmist says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Teach me to do your will, because God's will is its best, it's supreme. 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. One more. Sure, why not? Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God. And how is that will described? What is good and acceptable and perfect? Okay, I rest my case. Now, a word. Who likes words? I love words. I really do. A word that brings these two assumptions together about God. What is Jesus teaching us? That God is all-powerful and that his will is best. What word encapsulates those two truths? That God is all-powerful and that his will is best. It's the word sovereignty. Sovereignty. Jesus' prayer reveals the sovereignty of God. God is all-powerful. Somebody say amen. God is in control. Amen. His will shall be done. Amen. He is sovereign. And this is reflected in the way Jesus prays. Again, his prayer is very what? Theological. Now, let's get into some application. Okay? How do we practice this? We understand the prayer. We understand what it teaches us about God. He's all-powerful and his will is best. Okay? And how does Jesus address God as Abba? Father. Okay, so hang on to those things. What's the title of the sermon? Pray like Jesus. So follow Jesus' example when you pray. When you pray, here's the application. Acknowledge three things. Here they are. Acknowledge three things. Number one, 
When you pray, if you're a believer, if you've trusted in Christ, acknowledge your relationship with God. Acknowledge your relationship with God. If you've trusted in Jesus, then you belong to God. Amen? You've been rescued. You too have a relationship with God, the God, the only God of the universe. How does Jesus teach his followers to pray? Do you remember? How did Jesus pray? Abba, Father. How does he teach his followers to pray in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verse 9? And when you pray, pray this way. Our, whoa. Okay, so we can pray like Jesus. Our Father. So we too can call God Father because we belong to the Son. Write that down. If you're a Christian, we too can call God Father if we belong to the to the Son. And this provides us with a window into the intimacy we now share with God through Jesus Christ. It speaks to our adoption into the family of God through faith in Jesus. We can come to God as children to a father. Amen? I mean, come on. Number two, acknowledge that God is all-powerful and sovereign. When you pray, acknowledge that God is all-powerful and sovereign. Learn to, now listen, I'm going to give you some examples here, but learn to praise God in prayer for his power and might. Our prayers, when we pray, should not elevate ourselves. That's the way the pagans pray. Our prayer should elevate and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I've done in the past. And I provided this for uh, our church in Washington. I put it together kind of a prayer journal. And Pastor Aaron taught through Acts. And we've, we've talked about that on a Sunday morning, right? That's just a great acronym for how to approach God in prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Now, for the adoration, the praise portion, I would write down in my prayer journal multiple Old Testament passages, New Testament passages that speak to the glory and the majesty and the awesomeness of God. And I would read those passages and then speak that back to God in prayer. If I learn from the text that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, I would say, God, thank you. I'm thinking of Psalm 139. Thank you, God, that you are all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. Does that make sense? I read those passages. I read God's word, and then I respond back to him in prayer. I speak God's word back to him. So again, number two, when you pray, like Jesus, acknowledge that God is all-powerful and sovereign. How did he pray? What did he say? What did he say about, about his father? What, what did he say? Come on, help me. His will supreme and he's all-powerful. Number three, acknowledge and submit to his will. When you pray, learn to acknowledge God's will as best, namely his decreed will. Okay, let me make a distinction here. His decreed will, what he's planned according to his perfect wisdom, what God has planned before the foundation of the world but also learn to prioritize God's revealed will in prayer. Now, what is the difference? Okay, Let me talk about his revealed will. God's revealed will are things like this. God desires that the lost be saved. That's 2 Peter 3.9. So we should pray, if that's God's will in his word, that the lost be saved, we should pray for the lost to be saved. That's praying according to his will. If God's will in his word is that husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church, we should pray, husbands, help us, Father, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Does that make sense? Okay. Here's an example prayer. 
I wrote this down for us. You know, again, the three things. Praying like Jesus. Acknowledge your relationship with God. Acknowledge the intimacy that you have with God through Christ. Number two, acknowledge that God is all-powerful and sovereign when you pray. And three, acknowledge and submit to his will. Here's an example prayer. You could pray like this. Father, you have rescued me from sin by sending Jesus, the Son of God, to die in my place. I can call you Father because I belong to your Son. I'm your child. What am I recognizing? What am I affirming? The intimacy, the relationship I now have with God because of what Jesus has done. And now I'm going to go on to the second part, acknowledging that God is all-powerful and sovereign. You could pray this way. God, you are gracious and mighty to save. You are the creator of the universe. I'm just praying back Genesis 1 to him, right? Genesis 1, he's the creator. God, you're the creator. I'm in awe that you made everything. You made it good. You're all-powerful and in control despite my situation and circumstances. I pray that your will be done and that you would align my heart to your will. Father, in your word, now this is personal, this is something I pray. Father, in your word, you call me to shepherd my family, and as your pastor, Father, you call me to shepherd the flock. As your under-shepherd, along with Pastor Aaron and Dave and Pastor Paul. So, Father, help me to do that well. You show me in your word, I'm thinking about Acts 20, right, that I'm called to help take care of the sheep. So, Father, help me to do that well. Give me the wisdom and the strength to do those things, and always for your what? Glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in that simple prayer, what did I affirm? What did I acknowledge? My relationship with God, God is all-powerful and sovereign, and that his will is best. Now, I've been um, criticized when praying in a hospital room for someone sick and dying, praying, God, heal them. I know you can, but I want your will to be done. Whoa, pastor, sounds like you lack faith. Maybe you think God can't heal this woman. That's not what I said. Is praying God, your will be done, is that a lack of faith? Oh, man, far from it. When you pray to God, your will be done, you are not lacking faith. This is a prayer of abundant faith, namely faith in God that his will is good and that his will is best. It's a prayer of complete submission. Only those who trust in God can make this prayer, your will be done. Man, I love this lady. She's a wonderful saint. I know you can heal her, but your will be done. You know what's best, Lord. You know, the scene recorded in Mark's gospel would have had massive implications for the original audience of Mark's gospel. Most think that Mark's gospel was intended for the suffering church in Rome. What enabled Jesus to continue on toward the cross with resolve? It was his total trust and commitment to the Father's will. Amen? Now, the, the contrast between Jesus and his disciples in the garden is intentional. Jesus is praying. The disciples are, I mean, there's no easy way. They're sleeping on the job. Come on, boys. In the moment of temptation, Jesus goes to the Father in prayer trusting the Father and acknowledging His will and plan as the proper and right course of action. The disciples, on the other hand, fail to remain prayerfully alert at their post. What does Jesus say to the disciples in verse 38? Now we're moving into our final and third point. 
Verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus instructs his disciples to do what he himself is found doing in the garden. In the moment of temptation, the Son of God goes to the Father and he what? He prays. Why watch and pray? Why? Verse 38, watch and pray. Why watch and pray? So that you may not enter into what? Temptation. That's number three. Point number three, our final point this morning. Prayer is how we persevere amidst temptation. Will we be tempted in this life? Yes. How do we persevere amidst temptation? What do we learn from Jesus' example? Well, we pray. Listen, if you get nothing else this morning, please get this. This is seen throughout Jesus' ministry. Okay? Read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How did Jesus overcome temptation and keep to the Father's path for him? The path led to the cross. How did Jesus keep to the path? Hey, we want to make you king after he feeds the 5,000 in John 6. Man, you're, you're the king we've been waiting for, right? This mighty warrior who's going to overthrow Rome. And I'm sure that was tempting. What does Jesus do? He goes to the Father. He gets alone and he prays. He prays. Prayer is integral for the Christian life. It was integral for Jesus' life and ministry on earth. Listen to Mark 135. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. When I was in seminary, I was working on two master's degrees at the same time. It was a lot of fun, I tell you that. It was, but it was hard, and I didn't sleep much. I was working, doing ministry, doing school. Next to my room, there was a South Korean student who made the best kimchi. Love that stuff. I don't love the smell, but when you eat it, it just tastes wonderful. Anybody? Okay. A few of you know I'm talking about. Yeah. So at four in the morning, you would hear me snoring in my room. Because I probably just went to bed about two. At four in the morning, you would hear Mr. Lee praying, seeking the Lord every day. Four o'clock, he's up, praying. Seeking the Lord. Now, did I pray? Yes, I just didn't pray at 4. Are you crazy? Come on now. I went to bed at 2. I might be praying at 6.30, but I loved it. I'd wake up sometimes, and, oh, man, there he is. And I could hear him. It was, you know, thin walls. He's praying to the Lord. Why do you think Lee did that? What did that show? I'll tell you what it showed. He depended on the Lord. This man wanted to go back to his country and preach the word and shepherd the flock, and he knew that every step of the way he had to depend on the Lord. What did Jesus do? Mark one thirty-five. and rising very early in the morning. Sorry, I, I didn't plan on sharing that story, but when I saw very early, I thought of my next-door neighbor. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he what? There he prayed. Luke 5.16 but he, and this is kind of a summary, so we realize that Jesus did this often. But he would withdraw to desolate places and do what? And pray. Mark six forty six. and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And there's dozens more that I could have read. Here's the point. You know, I've been a student of the word, not as long as many of you, but for a time now. And I love the Gospels. I read the Gospels every week. I love the Gospels. 
this has been my takeaway from observing Jesus pray again and again throughout his ministry. And here it is. When I said, if you don't get anything else this morning, please get this. If Jesus prayed to overcome temptation and keep to the Father's path, then who are we to think that we don't need to? If Jesus prayed regularly to overcome temptation and to keep to the Father's path, who are we to think that we don't need to? How arrogant and foolish we must be to think, no, I'm good. I don't need to pray. Father, may it not be. May we follow Jesus' example and be men and women of prayer. Now, what does it mean to watch? Jesus says, watch and pray. The Greek word for here for watch is grigoreo. I don't, I don't expect you to say that with me. It's fun to hear you say it, but it's grigoreo. And it means to stay awake, to be alert, to be on guard, to be in a state of constant readiness. That's what Jesus is saying. Be that and pray. Now, we see this verb used in 1 Peter 5.8. Peter writes, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to do what? To devour, to eat you up. So we should be what? Watchful. In a constant state of readiness, alert. Now, the Colossians text I'm going to read next is really interesting. Listen, listen carefully. Jesus said in verse 38 of our text, watch and pray. Listen to Paul in Colossians 4.2. I wonder who Paul is taking his cues from. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. <laughs> sounds, sounds oddly familiar. Two verbs. Continue steadfastly in prayer, be prayerful, and be watchful. Again, prayer and being watchful are used together. Therefore, to be watchful, let me define this for you. To be watchful is to be spiritually alert by being on guard against those things that would fight for our loyalties and by directing our hearts and our minds heavenward. This is prayer. Being watchful is being prayerful. Being watchful is being what? Prayerful. How do we stay in a constant state of spiritual readiness, alertness, by being what? Prayerful. Prayer is moving our focus onto the Lord. This is how we persevere amidst temptation. Here, this is so brilliant, okay? Jesus is brilliant. Yes, he's God, obviously. But listen, I mean, understand what he's saying. We look away. We look away from the thing tempting us to the one who can help us overcome, the one who is better than the thing that is tempting us, the one who has the power to help us, the one whose will is best. Only, now again, so let me just say, if you get nothing else, you got the one thing about, hey, Jesus prayed, so we should pray, how dare we not pray? But if you, if you could just get one more thing this morning, get this. Only by looking at the one who is of ultimate value will we then pass on things of lesser value. Do you understand that? Only by looking to the one who is of ultimate value. When we pray, we're lifting our gaze heavenward. We're looking to the Lord. Amen? Only by doing that will we pass on things that are of lesser value. All right. This whole scene, I'm almost done. This whole scene is reminiscent of another garden scene in Scripture. Is there another garden scene in Scripture where God's people are tempted? Let's go back. Let's go way back 
Genesis 3, right? In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve fail to watch and pray. Do they call out to God for help? You know, they're called to keep the garden, to protect God's sacred space from sneaky snakes that would come in, right? Did they call out to God? Hey, God, I don't think he belongs here. He's, he's saying that what you said is not true. No, they don't do that. They fail to do what? They fail to watch and pray. And then we come to the disciples, and the disciples will be tempted regarding their loyalty to the king, much like Adam and Eve. They would be tempted. The disciples would be tempted to flee the scene to save their necks rather than suffering with the Savior. And later on, in Mark 14, 71, man, this is one of the toughest verses to read in Scripture. What does Peter say? I do not know this man of whom you speak. To read that, and then to read First and Second Peter, which I've read, I mean, to know that God still uses this man, what grace, amen? What did Peter say? I do not know this man of whom you speak. Their abandonment, the disciples' abandonment, was tantamount to denial, to cosmic treason. So we too must be on guard against cosmic treason. You know, listen, come on church. Other things are going to compete for our affections, our loyalties, our heart. What are they? These things may include sexual sin, greed, laziness, gossip, slander, pride. In order to persevere amidst temptation, we must be people of prayer. And finally, Jesus gives the reason for his command at the end of verse 38. Why be watchful and pray, friends? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are naturally what? Pastor, don't call me weak. (laughs) No, come on, listen. We are naturally lazy. I'll admit it. We are naturally lazy, and therefore we need the Lord's help. Christ bent his will to the Father's. Christ bent his will to the fathers. Again, he allowed himself to be guided by the Spirit of God. Paul, this is really helpful for what we're looking at this morning. Paul speaks of two warring factions in the life of the Christian in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. The flesh and the the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will what? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We submit to the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit when we watch and pray. How do we avoid cosmic treason? We watch and we pray. Be vigilant, my friends. Be spiritually alert by being on guard against those things that would fight for your loyalties, for your heart. And how do we do that? By directing our hearts and our minds and our voices heavenward through prayer. Let me end with this story. This is really cool. My grandma used to live in, well, my grandma and grandpa used to live in Saudi Arabia. In Saudi Arabia, I didn't know this. According to Arab custom, And this was reinforced by a royal decree in 1952 by King Abdul Aziz. Here's what it said. Every subject from the poorest to the richest in this country 
has the right to access his ruler, to present petitions of complaint or pleas for help. Did you know that? You, if you live in this country, can have an audience with the king, from the peasant to the richest person in the land. It goes on to say, even the poorest Saudi can approach his sovereign to plead a cause. Crown Prince Fahad, speaking about this custom, said, anyone, anyone can come here. That gives them confidence in their government. They know they may look to us for help. Now, again, we can agree that every human institution is flawed because it's sinful, right? I'm not here trying to pat Saudi Arabia on the back. I just love this illustration. Anyone can access the king. Every Christian, look around. Here's the point. Here's why I share this story. Every Christian, every follower of Jesus has the right to approach an even greater monarch, the king of kings. Let's go to him often. Let's go to him often and confidently in prayer. And we can if we have the Son. If you have the Son, you have the Father's ear. Amen? So again, let's go to him often and confidently through Christ. And when we do, listen, when we do, let's acknowledge our relationship with him. Let's acknowledge his power. And let's acknowledge that his will is best and submit to it. But who's prayer for? Prayer is for believers. Prayer is for believers. Prayer is for believers. Believers pray because believers have access to God. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's how we enjoy prayer. It's how we enjoy our relationship with God, which starts with faith in Jesus Christ. Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus? How have you responded to the gospel? We talk about the gospel every week. The gospel means good news. Here's the bad news. All of us are sinners. I don't care who you are. All, were you born in the garden? No, you were born outside the garden just like me. Okay? All of us have sinned and offended a holy God. All of us deserve his eternal wrath, hell. But Jesus came, the Son of God. He left heaven. He lived a perfect life, which we can't do because we're sinners. And then he died in our place on the cross. And then he rose again, which proves that all his claims are true and that what he did worked. And if you trust in him, confess your sin, trust in him, what does he promise to do? Forgive you. And you now get to enjoy a relationship with him for how long, friends? Forever. (laughs) So trust in Jesus, turn from your sin, believe in the gospel. And then, everybody say then. Get in the word. Get on your knees and pray and gather with God's church and we'll follow the king of kings together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. And we thank you that because of your son and our trust in him by grace, we now have your ear. Help us to follow the example of King Jesus and to be a church that prays. And through our prayer, may we acknowledge that God, you know all things. That God... Your will is best, and that God, through Jesus, we can now call you Father. We can approach you as children of Father. We thank you for the intimacy and the relationship we now have with you, and I pray for the boldness to share this good news with others so that more and more people can be brought into your family and enjoy that relationship too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.